What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. And I am Ben. We are here with our super producer, as always, ladies and gentlemen, Noel the Nebulous Brown. Nebulous, yes. Mm-hmm. I'm lo- looking up uh, synonyms for mysterious. Noel Seat of the Pants Brown. <laughs> Noel uh, Shot in the Dark Brown. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, uh, this Noel the Dark Horse Brown. I like it. We're using up all the good ones. I know, I know. We need to back it down. <laughs> so the reason that we're uh, using up all of these good nicknames for Noel and the reason that uh, maybe we made a misstep using all those good ones at once, because some of those are really good, uh, is because this is one of our continuing series of mystery shows, wherein one of us will surprise the other one. So one of us will have a topic prepared in hand and the other one has no idea nothing bupkis that's me today that is you my friend and uh i've got uh i've got an interesting thing for you here you know sometimes i come in when i think i'm prepared and i still have bupkis <laughs> yeah i just i heard the word bupkis earlier this weekend and i made a conscious decision <laughs> said i'm gonna use that more let's see where was the last was it maybe in uh Oh, were you thinking of like maybe a movie like Uncle Buck or something like that? Yeah. yeah it seems or, like a term that he would use. Yeah, yeah. Or a Mel Brooks term or something. Yeah, yeah. I think it was maybe a Mel Brooks movie. The memory escapes me. But this was also the same weekend I decided to use the phrase for the birds more oh, often. Really? really? Yeah. Uh, as we record this, it is, uh, is a Monday and my girlfriend is officially sick of it. That uh, that soon, huh? Just like two or three days of it, and she's done with it. Well, I told her that banning phrases is what? For the birds. <laughs> uh, anyhow, we digress. I did take some time to uh, bring not one, but two topics. Wow. Yes, both of which I'm, are mysterious. I'm impressed. What? Are we, wait, are we covering two in one episode? Ah, no, no, no. We're going to you, you know, pick a number, one or two. Oh, my gosh. This is even tougher. All right. So a surprise in the surprise episode. So uh, so I'm just supposed to pick a number. Yeah, pick a number. Two. Okay. As uh, as the Templar said to Indiana Jones, you, my friend, have chosen wisely. I am suspect of your methodology already, <laughs> Ben, because you can just choose whatever you want. 
right? Yeah, right. This is like the uh, the old choose a color game. <laughs> Pick a number. Right. It's a trust fall. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so here is today's question. Why can't consumers in the U.S. buy a car directly from the auto manufacturer? Ah, out of the, uh, the Tesla model, correct? Yes, yeah, because mm. this is something that, you know, uh, listeners, you've probably heard some of this in the waves. Uh, Elon Musk and his Tesla company are shaking up a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, some for better, some debatably for worse, which is a side note we'll get to at the end. But uh, what what do you mean when you say the Tesla method? Well, I mean, that's where they have just a, a storefront at a local mall, say, and they have a vehicle parked inside. And there's very it's very small. Mm-hmm. You can't really go for a test drive unless they have a vehicle on the lot, you know, that, that they are allowing people to go out and drive, I suppose. Right. Um, but they can describe to you all the systems and the operations and they can talk you through. Uh, what it's like, you know, to to own one of these and why you might want one of those versus another conventional type vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can, you know, they have they have people on hand that are that are very knowledgeable about the product and they can uh, answer any questions you have. They can talk with you about financing and all that stuff right there. And then you get delivery of the vehicle somewhere else, not from the dealership there. You right. can't bring it back there for service or anything like that. So mm-hmm. um, it's really just a storefront where they're selling one product. Right. Nail on the head, Scott. And this has been enormously controversial in some states here in the U.S. Uh, the And this is because the practice of buying a vehicle from an independent licensed dealer, by which we mean uh, someone who maybe they only sell Fords at their dealership, but they themselves are not part of Ford. They just have an agreement with Ford. Right. Sure. Like a franchise. Almost. Like a franchise. Exactly. And this practice has been so ingrained in U.S. culture that most people in our age range don't remember it any other way. I mean, your only other option is to go to a used car lot or to uh, buy a used car directly from someone else. Sure. So it, it's actually illegal. In some states, uh, which we'll get to in a second, it's actually illegal in some states for an auto manufacturer to sell a car directly to an end user. Isn't this crazy? It's, it's, it's strange to me how it's illegal for them to do that. It seems like that would eliminate a lot of cost, too. Uh, if they were able to operate on the same model as Tesla is right now at, on, a, on a grand scale, a large, mm-hmm. large scale, you know, every state, you know, several locations in that state. It seems like the consumer would be the winner in this case, as would the manufacturer, because they'd be able to sell more product mm-hmm. for a lower cost, yet keep more of the profit. Well, here's a little bit of the history. OK, so, you know, cast your memory back there, Lord Van Morrison style. Uh, in the very beginning of the 20th century, these kind of dealerships were relatively rare. Mm-hmm. The way you would buy a car at that time would be to order it through a department store, right? Uh, order it via a catalog, or you would have a traveling, as in door-to-door, car salesman. Oh, that's strange, isn't it? it? That is strange. I mean, it doesn't seem like an item that you would just nonchalantly say, yeah, I could I could use one of those. As You know, and somebody just wandered up to your house and, and said, it's not like the Fuller Brush Man, you know, that walks up and <laughs> knocks on the door, and you're like, well, I guess I could use another... Another brush or a vacuum salesman. Sure, or, or I fix this pot for me or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, it doesn't seem like a, a service or a product that you buy like that. But I, I wonder how 
door-to-door car or car sales actually went. I mean, was it was it successful? Maybe not because they don't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Did uh, they drive up and get stranded or, if they made a sale? Or was it sort of? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or was it sort of successful? But this is one of you know maybe one of the reasons that it was kind of shut down is that we're going to try to push it in a different a different direction. Maybe. Yeah. And, I don't know. And well, in 1898, a guy named William E. Metzger uh, started what historians today believe to be the first legit car dealership. It was a General Motors franchise. And uh, this – so this practice goes way back. Now, now while Metzger may have been the first, he was one of uh, a rare few for Wait, a while. What year is this? 1898? 1898. Wow. 1898. Right, right from the very beginning. Yeah, he saw uh, he saw a future in it, I guess. Hmm. Uh, and it looks like he was right. And today, as we said, there are franchise laws requiring that car- new cars only be sold to these dealerships. Anybody who has questions about uh, how a dealership works can refer to our earlier podcast, you know, where you can hear some really interesting information about the time calculations mm-hmm. and how they move these vehicles. But let me go ahead and say some of the things that uh, defend that people say in defense of this practice. Sure. Right. Yeah. Okay. So first, clearly, there's the advantage of um, there's the advantage of preserving a piece of the economy, right? Automobile yeah. franchisees. So not just the sales folks, but also uh, the mechanics, all even down to the people who work in the car wash. Well, sure. Right? There's a lot of jobs there. There are a lot of jobs there. Because we would presume that the vast majority of these independent dealers don't have the economic heft to compete with manufacturers, like with the big three just jumping right in. Hmm. The second idea, and I can, I can see some sand to this one, is that if you are a car buyer, having an independent salesperson, uh, a middleman who knows what they're talking about can, uh, can sell you on, or guide you rather toward a different model or make of car. Yeah. Whereas you would need to, in the days before the internet, you would need to do some extensive research on your own, yeah, right? Sure you would. Yeah. A lot so, of reading. So maybe the digital age changes some of this. Uh, but though, while those are two of the big things, uh, the other side of the controversy alleges that this is pretty much just lobbying to preserve a corrupt practice and a corrupt practice. Wow. Well, a, uh, an unfair, ultimately unbeneficial to the consumer. <laughs> okay, I see. Um, and and this is, you know, I got to tell you, man, I I have never sold, uh, worked or never sold cars or worked as a, a dealer, but it seems like it's such an ingrained thing now. It seems normal to me. You know, I I had not really thought about it until. Tesla came out. And also, you know, granted, as longtime listeners know, I, I have never bought a new car and probably never will. Well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, if you don't have the, uh, the you know, the um, the background, I guess, of going on to the used car lot or the new car lot to buy a vehicle, uh, it's not typically something you really think about. Because when you you do trade vehicles with somebody else, you know, I mean, I mean that, you know, you buy one from Craigslist, you buy one from eBay or something. Yeah. You're dealing with an individual. And that's closer to what you would receive or the, the, uh, the treatment that you would receive at the Tesla showroom. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a way, I mean, you're just talking with somebody about a product that they're not really going to sell you. I mean, they are, they're not. It's the factory that's going to sell it to you. You're going to buy it from the company itself. Right. Um, it, it's almost like, can you trust that person more than you can <laughs> a used car salesman who's 
on commission or a new car salesman who's on commission. I, yeah. I I'm just not quite sure how to look at this. I mean, because it's so it's so dramatically different from anything that you and I have ever really used in the past. Sure. And, and even we're not that um, adept at dealing with car salesmen either. I mean, <laughs> a little bit, but not a whole lot. Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that, Scott. The Consumer Federation of America uh, wrote a paper called A Roadblock on the Information Superhighway, Anti-Competitive Restrictions on Automotive Markets. Uh, and that was back way back in 2001. So the stuff about Tesla hadn't really hit yet. Yeah. Uh, they found that the practice of buying through dealerships, through franchises rather from directly to a manufacturer, uh, cost around 1500 per vehicle. That's what they, the price they put on it. Really? 1500 yeah. So not insignificant. No, no, that's quite a bit. And uh, and it adds up, right? Yeah. Uh, or more than twenty billion per year. Whoa, no way. Twenty. Okay, so at just we're talking at fifteen hundred, roughly. I mean, that's average, right? So yeah, yeah. But but how much per year? Twenty billion. 20 so billion uh, dollars. That's a huge, huge increase. Right. With their studies, they found potential savings of at least six percent per vehicle. I'm reading this here from the paper. Uh, at today's prices and volumes, remember again, this is 2001, uh, the potential savings are on the order of 1500 per vehicle or more than 20 billion per year based on vehicles sold. Wow. So this argument is something that has continued. And Tesla, as we mentioned from the top, because you saw exactly where I was going, Tesla said, uh, they didn't want to play ball with this. They wanted to sell directly to the consumer and tradition be darned. Uh, so, well, is, yeah. is that tradition be darned or is that going back to the way it was? And it's another way to look at it. It's like, you know, it's not, it's before all these, uh, these dealership franchises and the super stores, you know, where they have right. a thousand cars on the lot. I mean, it's going back to something uh, like a simpler time almost. That's true. That's I don't true. know. I mean, so it is, is it going back to the tradition or is it tradition be damned, like you said? Yeah, I guess I would say that it depends on how we measure tradition. Is tradition the thing that happened first or the thing that happened for the longest amount of time? <laughs> you're right. You know, probably the longest amount of time. I think you're looking at it uh, in a more correct way than I am because uh, traditionally you do go to the dealership to buy a vehicle. You don't go to a storefront in the mall and buy a vehicle. Yeah. Even though, I mean, I understand that was a, a version of what you would do uh-huh. in, the, in the past, but that was a short-lived uh, practice. And then, and then, you know, the whole dealership thing came out. By the way, I've got a question for you. Yes, sir. Okay, I, I hate to ask you this right here on air live and everything, but you mentioned 1898 for the guy with the uh, the dealership, right? Uh-huh. I think General Motors didn't come around until 1908. So I wonder if he was selling vehicles hmm. for a different brand Maybe, and then picked yeah. up and then picked up a General Motors brand or uh, um, yeah. franchise rather. In 1908, right from the beginning, I th- something about the number just didn't seem right to You're me. Right. So I quickly looked it up, and uh, and I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing that this it was Metzger, right? Yeah, M E T Z G E R. I would bet that Metzger probably got in early with um, you know some some other auto manufacturer, uh-huh. whoever that might be, like maybe Ransom Olds or somebody like that. Because um, even even Henry Ford wasn't around until was it 1902 or 1903 really selling his his product. I mean on a large scale or large enough that you could get a dealership. You know what? That's a really great point because I'm no, that's really that's a really good point because if I recall correctly, yes, and thank you for adding this, he did not open as a General Motors franchise. He became the first General Motors franchise, but when he opened, he was selling Waverly electric cars. Oh, okay. 
And uh, he opened 1898, end of 19, uh, 1897, excuse me. He added steamers, and then he didn't add gas powers and gas power cars till after that. Interesting. He, so this guy, he was early on. He was early on with the idea that, yeah, the motor car is here to stay. Mm-hmm. But he started out with, of course, what we knew at the time was electric and then steam. Yeah. Then So he, he followed exactly the progression of the way we talk about it in our podcast for the last seven years. He met um, Ransom Olds in uh, 1899 huh. and later went on to sell the first Oldsmobile. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Probably the curved dash Oldsmobile, the one that, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the very first one. I'm just guessing, but uh, that would be right around that time. And uh, it makes more sense. It now, does, Now, yeah. for him to be, uh, you know, the first General Motors, you know, franchise, I guess, franchise dealership, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal, but it's also, it gives us, you know, a, a couple of uh, big questions too. Like how much of a role did he play in the development? We could, we could do a podcast just on Metzger. He is in the Auto Hall of Fame, right? And now if we fast forward past the age of Metzger, past the age in which you and I and Noel and uh, you also listeners live, we come upon this this proposal of buying things direct from the manufacturer. Now, Elon Musk himself has a pretty interesting argument about this. And I know that we probably have some auto dealers in the audience, right? I would think so. So I'd like to hear what you all think of this. Tesla's uh, Tesla as a company, the entire business practice of selling directly to consumers is apparently one more of self-preservation at least from Musk's perspective, than it is of, yeah, that's tough to say. Musk is. <laughs> I'm glad you attempted uh, it, not me. It's tougher from Alon's perspective. I guess now he and I are on a first name basis, <laughs> uh, to, to be a new car company and to work within this current system. He wrote a, uh, he wrote a letter about this in, uh, in a couple of different places. It was been published in a couple of different places, but, Let me just read a section of this, okay? Sure. The evidence is clear. When has an American startup auto company ever succeeded by selling through auto dealers? The last successful American car company was Chrysler, which was founded almost a century ago, and even they went bankrupt a few years ago, along with General Motors. Since the founding of Chrysler, there have been dozens of failures, Tucker and DeLorean being simply the most well-known. In recent years, electric car startups such as the Fisker, Coda, and many others attempted to use auto dealers and all failed. An even bigger conflict of interest with auto dealers is that they make most of their profit from service, but electric cars require much less service than gasoline cars. I don't know about that. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, he says, there are no oil, spark plug, or fuel filter changes, no tune-ups, no smog checks needed for an electric car. Also, all Tesla Model S vehicles are capable of over-the-air updates to upgrade software, just like your phone or computer, so no visit to the service center is required. Going a step further, I've made it a principle within Tesla that we should never attempt to make servicing a profit center. It does not seem right to me that companies try to make a profit off customers when their product breaks. So, he goes on, and I think you can tell, uh, I think you can tell just from the tone of the last few lines there, that this is more than just subtle jabs. This is also, you know, kind of back backyard complimenting or himself or backdoor compliments himself. Well, sure it is. But, you know, a couple of things that he mentions, though, you can always look at the other side of that as well. You can right. say, well, it's it's in a way comforting to know that, 
you know, there's a Tesla dealer right down the block from me that I could I could take my car back to if there's a problem. Um, he's saying, oh, don't worry about that. We'll just wirelessly update your vehicle from, uh, you know, over the air. You don't have to worry about that at all. Just plug it in. Tomorrow morning it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, there's all, there's just some amount of comfort to know that you can go to a place and talk with somebody about what it's doing, what, what you know, you can take them out for a drive, um, say, you know, it's, it's, it's reacting this way when I do this. Yeah, and you can, they can drive it and see it and feel it, and then and you hand it to them. I know it's, you're you're still paying the money at the service department, and all that, and you, a lot of people don't like going to the uh, the service department or the dealership unless but, they have the warranty in action. Yeah, yeah well, maybe even then, you know, they don't like taking the car back in. It's just it's difficult, time consuming to do, and and trying to get it fit in your schedule and all that. Well, but, here's another good point, though. Yeah, a dealership, especially if you have a car that is not the most common, the dealership from which you purchase the car is probably going to have the parts you need. True. That is true. Yeah, they're going to have the uh, the genuine, authentic parts you're going to need. But he's, his argument is that you won't really need that. This is all a software update. You know, when we build the car, it's complete. Everything's there. You don't need that. Uh, th- that level shouldn't even be there. But on the other hand, if they're talking about creating all these uh, these stations where they're going to swap batteries. and uh, Then they're going to end up being service centers as well. Well, that is a service center because you're going to have to pull into a bay where they remove that 1,000-pound battery from underneath the car and replace it with something else. That's a service. That's a type of service, of course. Um, it seems like at the same time, if you say, you know, I'm, I'm missing uh, one of my lug nuts on the yeah. uh, left rear wheel. Can you please, you know, find one for me? I, I was changing a tire and I left it on the roadside or something. Can you add one? It's it's the same. Right. It serves the same purpose as a like a, I guess a um as a dealership service station, um. But I don't know if that's the right way to put it or not, Ben, because it would be minor minor things that you'd be asking for, um. Perhaps, but but I see like I see what you're saying as well. The idea here that the idea feels a little airbrushed to say that an electric car just by virtue of being electric is not going to need work. True. Uh, and, and of course, what he mentioned specifically in this piece are uh, are things that would apply specifically to an ICE, right? Okay, well, okay. I keep going back. Yeah, yeah, go but, back. But let's say that, let's say you've got something that's like, a, you know, a, not an engine problem, not a, not a, a battery problem, I guess. Okay. Let's say that you've got switches that don't work, like a door, like a door window switch. Right. Yeah. That's something that you would maybe go to a dealership for. Mm-hmm. I don't think you would go to a parts place unless it's out of warranty and you know you're not going to get that part replaced for free. You might go to like a Napa or someplace like sure. that and, and see if they've got a replacement. But if you're under warranty and this is kind of a, this is a unique vehicle, I don't I don't know if you would go to Napa to get a Tesla window switch. Right. Um, yeah. Or maybe uh, you could. I, any, but I doubt it. Uh, any electrical. Issues anyway, you know, and even on even on typically gas powered cars, you know, there are a lot of garages that will say well, we don't do electric. Yeah, that's true. So so that's something you could go to a dealer for. Yeah, uh, the, I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably looking at this too. Like, I think we're both narrow, going back and forth. Probably in too narrow of a scope. I'm sure that you know, there's there's a uh, this is the way to do it. Probably. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. 
But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I think this may end up, you know, it's tough to make the predictions about how this ends up. But what we can say is right now it's going state by state. So in some states, and and Tesla is like either the poster child for this or public enemy number one, depending on what side of the story you fall on. So in 2014, uh, New York State allowed Tesla to continue selling its cars directly to its consumers. And that's big because, you know, New Yorkers like Tesla. Sure. There are a lot of New Yorkers are buying Tesla. And there's not a lot of real estate available for them to, uh, to build a dealership. <laughs> right. Or to franchise out, right? Mm-hmm. And join the system. Uh, Tesla also got a different deal in Ohio. Same one or similar, you know. Uh, but it's been banned from selling these things in, uh, a couple of different states. In Texas, there's an interesting law. Um, they had, let's see, they had a short reprieve where, uh, the deal was that if Tesla sold more than 5,000 cars a year, I think, then they would become subject to the franchise laws. Yeah. Uh, it was House Bill 3351 uh, that said if Tesla sells more than 5,000 cars a year in Texas, it's subject to the franchise. That's a big state. It's seems a like, like 5,000 would be something that's uh, readily accessible to Tesla to sell that many vehicles in, in Texas. So, I mean, that's uh, – well, that's a little tough on them. I mean, to, to go over that, so I wonder if it's if I wonder just the uh, the yeah. logistics of this whole thing. Uh-huh. If it's exactly five thousand, or if they have to sell forty nine ninety nine or five thousand one. Yeah, yeah. I just wonder how that works. But um, yeah, I, I could completely see them selling at least five thousand in Texas. I mean, that's a giant state with a lot of people. Yeah, um, Texas is larger than a lot of countries. Yeah, a lot of money there too. And and I don't know. I, this is a weird. This is a weird thing for Texas to do. I don't know why. I feel. 
like um, for them to restrict someone who's trying to uh, get into, you know, do this business right uh, on their own, uh, you know, without the franchise set up, you know, the, uh, the the typical way of doing things. It seems like Texas would be the place to do something like that. Well, the tech, uh, the Texas, um, I believe there's a there are a couple of different Texas auto dealer associations or trade groups who have, you know, argued vociferously against this. Tesla is also banned from this kind of sale in Arizona, Virginia, and possibly New Jersey. So four states right now. Uh, yeah, I can You know, I think there's another one too, but I can't remember which one it is. Is it like Alaska or Hawaii or something <laughs> like that? Maybe. So roughly four. I mean, we're talking at least in the lower 48 here, and um, it could be more. We don't know. We're well, not sure, but but. Like to, to to ban the sale of this. I mean, this this makes you wonder. Like, what what are the dealers? What are the dealers arguing against? Like, why are they saying that it's a um it's not a good idea to do this? Or why do they why do they fight against this? Why do they rebel against this idea? Well, uh, they say that okay. Here here is something from the Washington Post. Uh, they in also in 2013. So before some of this went to ground uh, during the debate over North Carolina and Tesla. And, you know, North Carolina being home to Asheville has a lot of people who would be into electric vehicles, sure. stuff like that. So uh, auto dealers argue, according to this Washington Post article, that they're protecting consumers because they need to have a licensed dealer around to fix their car if it's a lemon and to help them through the purchase process. Uh, there's a message that they quote from a guy named John Zweicher, Z-W-I-A-C-H-E-R, who's chairman of the Texas Auto Dealers Association at the time. And here's their quote. In addition to providing essential transportation, Texas dealers employ over 75,000 employees with an annual payroll of $4.0 billion and are a $3 billion annual revenue source for the state budget. Texas dealers serve as community volunteers and leaders in every capacity and are essential to the daily lives of every Texan. The North Carolina Dealers Association said, oh, you tell me these guys are also going to support the Little Leagues and the YMCA? That's uh, Robert Glazer, uh, president of the North Carolina Automotive Dealers Association. And this Washington Post article, the journalist doesn't agree with them. But the, uh, the, the idea also here goes back to this concept of local economy. Right. Yeah. You know, and there's a there's a valid argument to be made there. Sure. Sure. Uh, but overall, the question of the 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 question of which side is right, I think, falls into some philosophical territory, perhaps. But there's there's no denying that Tesla is the new kid on the block and that that company is f- fighting what an entrenched group of uh, trade interest see as an existential threat. So that is why, in conclusion, that's why you and I and Noel and, and you out there listeners can't get up today, flip your phone, if you have a flip phone, uh, or, you know, call or email General Motors or Honda directly and say, I, you know, just send over a Civic, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a strange idea, isn't it, that you could uh, you could do that. And I guess in a way that's kind of what you could do with Tesla, but it's probably a little more complex than that. I, mean, I imagine. I'm sure you still do the paperwork and everything through the uh, 
Well, maybe online. Through the gallery. Yeah, you can also do some through the gallery with the with the representative, I'm sure. But we've really got to get to a Tesla dealership and just figure out exactly how this whole thing works. Because I'm, I'm yeah. really, really curious. Like, if you if you go in with, uh, you know, let's say cash in hand and you really want to uh-huh. get one. A suitcase of cash. Yeah, how are they <laughs> going to how are they going to show you what the product can do? Do they have it? Do they have a tester on site? Because you'd think that they would have one there, you know, that somebody would say, Come on out of the parking lot. I got mine parked on, you know, level two on the deck and we can uh-huh. just drive around the block or something. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily that that's the company, you know, show car or whatever. And you're not taking the one out of the, out of the storefront, obviously. Mm-hmm. That's, that's there on permanent display in the mall, although that would be a fun test. Do you ride. think, yeah, do you think <laughs> that's a great line? Yeah. Do you think you could get a, a discount for taking the demo version? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, and would you want to? That's the other thing. No, because uh, they have hinges. Yeah. <laughs> On the doors. Oh yeah, yeah. Never yeah, yeah. buy, never buy a demo with a hinge. <laughs> uh, but the uh, yeah, that's you know that's a good point. And looking through this, I really wanted to hear your perspective because uh, this this is something that is ongoing, and you know we have to ask ourselves for kids who were born you know this year, right? Mm-hmm what kind of vehicle are they going to buy? Or that's maybe that's too far in the future for kids who are, I don't know, 14 now, right? Uh, in a few years, they'll probably still buy a used car from a dealer, get one from their parents. Probably. I mean, I don't see that system going away by any means. And I don't, I don't know if this Tesla model is one that will really overtake uh, the United mm-hmm. States, you know, as far as the way things are done or the world, the way things are done. I think that maybe they can coexist. They can live together in the, you know, um, in the same community, but have different approaches to the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I understand that, you know, there's this, uh, this, this friction between the two of them, like, you know, what about the, um, the local economy and the community and the support and all that. I, I understand all those arguments. Yeah. So I think there's a place for the local small town dealer and there's also a place for, um, you know, a Tesla storefront in the, in the local mall. I, I think they can both work together. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. 
We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right, and also a further point, now that I'm just thinking about it, a further point in favor of groups of independent franchise dealers is that they will do trade-ins and there may be more competition. So it could be, I guess, if there were just direct from manufacturer purchasing, right, and everybody wants an F-150, but Ford says this is the only price for an F-150, there are no negotiations. But that's new car, too. So yeah. uh, some of these used Teslas are going to wind up on local dealer lots. Anyway, that's yeah, true. So, I mean, there's always going to be a place for the small-time dealer. I mean, used, new all that, and and I get it. If everybody switched over to one uh, version of this or the other, that's missing out. I think like uh, you would you'd miss out on you know the, the benefits that the Tesla system has, yeah. and you would also miss out if it went the other way. You would lose out on some of the uh, the small town, uh, and I keep going back to small town. You know, <laughs> right. you know, big towns also, but sure. you know, like you said, the sponsorship of the local bowling team or the little league or you yeah. know, whatever. Um, the uh, the events where they have kids kids come in and trick or treat and you know Halloween and uh, it's community. It's, yeah, it's community and jobs and all that. I get. I totally get all that. But to to work together, if they if there's both systems in place, I don't really see a problem with that. Which is interesting because Tesla has actually said the same thing. Elon Musk himself has uh, has argued that the strategy now is just to get the company itself on better economic footing. That's yeah. what they use, uh, or that's their language they use. And they say that they're open to working with the system. Once they're a better thing, they consider the selling direct to the consumer also important because people aren't familiar with electric cars and they need somebody who is knowledgeable, like back of the hand level knowledgeable to explain it in understandable terms. But the idea like here, uh, he said he would be open to a discussion of a dual retail network, just like you're talking about, Scott. A combination of Tesla-owned and independently-owned dealerships when Tesla's sales reach 1% of the new car sales market in the U.S. So are we still calling Tesla a startup at this point, or is it uh, is it really a full-fledged competitor now with everybody else? I don't know. This, this marks definitely a, a sea change of sorts, right, uh, this this idea. But let me – before we conclude, can I, can I give you a little uh, comparison? Yes. Historical tale. Sure. I I read long ago as some commencement speech, but it was impressive. And listeners, please, if you remember who wrote this, uh, write in, let me know, because I'd love to hear it. We're on Facebook, Twitter, we're CarStuffHSW, both of those, or you can send us an email. We've got the address at the end of every episode. So, long time ago, 
uh, in, let's just say, New England. New England, maybe uh, as far down as New York. Uh, there were these companies that would ship ice. And this is before refrigeration of ice, right? Mm-hmm. So like big blocks of ice, big blocks of ice. That's right. And so, you know, in the in the fancy high dollar places, you would want to have your freshly chopped ice and I don't know wear your tuxedos and talk about uh, I, cricket. I don't know, whatever. And, uh, <laughs> cricket's and it's good. Yeah, cricket's good. And so uh, these companies were integrated such that they owned the areas where they were taking where they were taking the ice. And they owned the trucks, right? And they owned the farms that made the straw that they would put over the ice. Sure. And a real ice monopoly. An ice monopoly, yes, sir. And so what they would do is they would get up and they would drive all the way out to wherever the ice was, which was in Canada, probably somewhere, I imagine, and then drive all the way back uh, like blazes so that they got there without the ice melting, mm-hmm. chop it, chop it up, and then sell it to people. And then, lo and behold, someone starts using this gadget uh, to freeze ice in in the area, like at in the states, in the city. Someone's just freezing ice right there in your own home or business. Right there in your own home or business, potentially. So the ice truck monopolies, uh, which is not their official name, but just for the sake of argument. Uh, they see this and they know there's trouble brewing. They smell something ill in the wind. And let's say they have a chance to work with the refrigeration people to maybe even buy them out, right? They're a startup. Mm-hmm. They're just starting. And this is weird. Who's going to use this freaky gadget in their house anyway? So they could buy them out and just uh, do away with the technology. Or they could buy them out and use the technology. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, either way. Uh, but what they do instead is they invest in faster trucks. <laughs> more straw ah they're looking at it the wrong way political uh political maneuvering mm-hmm. to make it difficult and again this is just a, a story i heard in a commencement speech but today despite all of their efforts odds are you have a refrigerator in your house and not an ongoing contract with a truck you have to, to deliver uh straw packed ice from canada somewhere right yeah and uh you know when i hear about Regulation, because we're seeing some of the same stuff too with uh, cable companies, right, or internet service providers, and things like Google Fiber or states, uh, little you know, like towns trying to start their own municipal broadband. And it makes me wonder if this is a thing where these dealership models will be reconciled, or if it's going to be a direct to the manufacturer thing, and then. It's not something I really have an answer to, again, because of those points about the the jobs, the economic heft, really, and the, uh, you know, I think that argument about community is valid. But also, if I could save 1500 on a new car. That's true. There's always the flip side of the coin, yeah. no matter which way you look at this. I mean, there's always the... There's always the positive, and then there's there's always there's always going to be a negative as well. Sure, it depends on which side you favor. I mean, as far would you rather save money or would you rather have that local dealer that you've trusted for 20 years that you can go to and and buy a car from and take it back for service, et cetera, et cetera right, right, right. That sponsors your kid's baseball team, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. That um, that uh whole that uh buys out the community center for the local VA 
dinner and stuff. Yeah, sure. You know? Yeah, that does a lot of good for the community. I mean, which, but, but which do you prefer? It kind of depends on, you know, well, it depends on your own personal situation and that doesn't match up with everybody, obviously. So, uh, there's going to be a lot of, uh, differing opinion within uh-huh. the community, a lot of infighting, I guess. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, there's going to be, I would guess there's going to be a, um, Oh, what was the group that you said? The Texas Auto Dealers Association. Sure, and, and there's all something like that in every state. Associations and unions and all that mm-hmm. get come into play, and it becomes very, very messy quick. And I think that's exactly what Tesla is dealing with, dealing with right now. I mean, is, is all these little nuances that we don't really think of until something like this comes in, and then they realize, hey, wait a minute, that's taking, that's undercutting what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's a better way to do it. Maybe. I'd like to hear what our listeners think. And I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. Because I don't really have a, a horse in the race, or shall I say a Tesla in the race, I, uh, I'm i still going back and forth on what what is better in the long term for the buyers or for the community, for the economy, etc. Uh, and, and I'd like to hear your thoughts. Uh, I, for the record, if I owned a dealership, or if I, you know, my family owned a dealership and I was in line for the throne or something, then I would absolutely fight tooth and nail against it. Yeah, you would feel threatened by this. Yeah, yeah. So I, I understand that. But, or if you, or uh, if you, uh, your dad was a salesman, and sure, had, and had been for thirty years and is looking at retirement now. Oh yeah. But but that model, that, that historic model, is again being threatened by this new new kid on the block. Mm-hmm. That's that's tough to deal with. That really is. I mean, how do you how do you weigh all this again? It, it comes back down to where you are, you know, personally, <laughs> right? Yeah. This. I mean, it, it really is just a, an individual um, decision, I guess. I mean, that you have to make. I, I don't, and and someone someone is someday going to pass down some legislation that will either outlaw this or will say this is the way we're going to do it. And mm-hmm. most places are going to adapt, but. Um, Oh man, I don't know. This is a good question. This is really it has a lot of angles to it, doesn't it? I mean, right. I like I like uh, talking about all these little uh, little these questions with variations. no answer. <laughs> yeah, I really do like this. So a good topic. Oh, thanks, man. And uh, we hope you enjoyed it as well, listeners. We hope that we have been uh, as fair as possible with this. I know it's a loaded topic for a lot of people. Yeah, because there, you know, there are other people who say, well, the, there are people who will argue for and against dealerships based on a common principle like the free market, you know, like a dealership creates more of a free market Mm -hmm. because that system allows more competition or it restricts it. It, You know, people go back and forth, as you said. So let us know what you think. If you would like to hear more about dealerships in general and you have not checked out our episodes on, uh, let's see, on... (laughs) dealership things to watch out for uh, things to notice when you're buying a new or used car we have a bunch oh a lot of them that deal with buying and selling used and new vehicles and, mm-hmm. uh, it's just uh, I think we've got a, a pretty good um, catalog now of material that goes back seven years and at <laughs> some point we've probably covered just about everything in a dealership I'm sure there's others that we can we can hit on but yeah um, and it, yeah over the years we've definitely talked about dealerships quite a bit you know the pros and the cons Mm-hmm. And uh, if you want to check those out, you can find those along with every other podcast we've ever done on our website, carstuffshow.com. If you have an idea and you'd like to write to us directly, we'd love to hear from you. Our address is carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. 
This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fairs. Discover more at viking.com. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.